Good morning. What a joy it is to be here this morning, and uh, what a joy it is to be able to bring you the, the message that God gave me this morning to present. It's exciting as we look at what the love of God is all about. There's so many things that, about it. It's so deep. It's so pervasive. It's so expansive that we don't begin to comprehend it. And yet, the things that God does allow us to comprehend about it is just transforming in our lives if we, if we address it the right way. And that's what we'll be talking about this morning. Let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessings that you've shed upon us, blessings that we're not even aware of. Father, as Prudence and I were talking about our grandson that's starting to drive now, and we think back when we were learning to drive and the, the things that we did, even before we were saved, the care that you, you gave us, the, the oversight to, to protect us from all the, all the things, especially the foolish things that we did, your care has been there from the day we were born, from the day we took our first breath, how precious that is. And Father, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that our understanding and the depth of our knowledge about your love will grow even more. All this we ask and we pray for in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of my problems when I go to preach on something like this, I start putting things together and looking in the, in the word, and I come up with anywhere from 30 to 50 pages of notes. And they're all important. Every single point is just as important as the other, and, and I just got to cram it into 45 minutes. How do I do that? Well, I made an attempt, but I, I hope you'll understand that some of these things, it may leave some questions in your mind, or we could certainly take most of the points that I have here and be able to make a study or a, or a sermon out of each one of them. Um, so understand that we're really, we're really condensing uh, a lot here this morning, but it's an important thing that I want, want us all to be able to understand. I have a question for you to start out with. Have you ever wondered why we have such a hard time being obedient to God? Have you ever thought about that? It seems like it's just a constant struggle. And Paul talks about that, especially in Romans chapter 7. Well, one of the things is because so often we tend to have the wrong perspective on two significant things. The first is what God, Scripture says about God's part in our sanctification. We work really hard at trying to change ourselves. We know this is what God wants us to be like. We have a desire to be like that, and we work really hard. But scripture actually says, and I'll give you some passages here, he is conforming us to the image of his son. And that's what we're learning about in this series that we're, we're having on Sunday nights now. And I would encourage everyone, if you haven't been attending that, um, we have notes, we have uh, handouts, we have everything. Um, you're welcome to, to come, and we, I'd encourage everyone to, to start coming to the rest of this series. It's, it's really important, and it gives such a, a great perspective uh, on what this is all about. In Romans 8.29, we're all familiar with this. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That's his responsibility. He promised it. He's going to make it happen so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. In Philippians Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 3 through 7, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my pr every prayer for all of you, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day till now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then in, verse, in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, we read, For our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. 
by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. So that's the first one. Uh, we need to have a proper perspective on how this transformation works and where the real responsibility lies. And the second one is the perspective that we have on the love of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And this gets into the area of where our responsibility comes into play. There's a motivation behind every single thing that we do, whether it's our thoughts, our words, or our actions. At the root of every person's motivation is belief. We act on what we believe. That's the essence of what faith is all about. Let me, let me try and explain it this way. If I'm in the desert, and I've, you can live about three days without water in the desert, and I've gone about two and a half days, and I'm just barely making it, and someone sets a glass of water down in front of me, I believe that glass of water will save me at that point. But at that point, I'm still dying. It's not until I take that glass of water and actually drink it that it'll actually become something that saves me. That's faith, that's acting on what I believe. And that's an important thing to keep in mind as we understand how we work through these things. So when we say that we believe God, we need to ask, what do we actually mean? What do we really believe? We know Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. We know that the Philippian jailer, when Paul and Silas were in jail, he asked, what must I do to be saved? And they started out and said, believe. We all know we believe Jesus is God. We believe that Jesus came to earth as a man, that he died on the cross. We believe that his death on the cross paid the penalty for our sin. We believe that it's true because God told us so in the Bible. And we believe that the Bible's true because it came from God. Now, what do we believe about love? Well, that, that, that passage that we read this morning tells us it started right out. Without love, nothing is of any value. Nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is just, love is merciful, love is compassionate. We, we all like to think that, yes, that, that's how I want to be with other people. But then it comes to the part where it talks about when things don't go the way we want. Love bears all things. Love endures all things. And even when we hear the truth about something that we're not comfortable with, maybe it's a sin in our life or something we don't like, love rejoices in truth. Love never fails. In John chapter 13, Jesus told his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And he's not talking here about just a good feeling. I've heard the, the, the term love here. This is the word agape. Um, it's the, the Greek word. And I've heard a good definition of it, of, of sacrificial service to the needs of others. And that's what Jesus was talking about here. So we need to ask ourselves, when we think about our, our congregation here, we think about ourselves as individuals. Do our, do our lives display what we say we believe about love? John, in his first epistle, makes a remarkable statement. And he makes it twice, just to really drive it home. In chapter 4, verses 8 and 16, he says, The one who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. 
And in verse 16, he says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. God is love. God tells, John tells us that love is the very essence of who God is. And to understand God, we need to understand this agape love that John's talking about, specifically in terms of how we sacrificially serve others when that goes against the grain in so many parts of our life. All of God's attributes, whether it's patience, kindness, justice, mercy, compassion, these are all aspects of love. It was agape love that brought creation into existence. And therefore, love is greater than all the forces in the universe put together. Sometimes we don't grasp that. The things that we think in terms of power and might and strength, we tend to think of in worldly perspectives. But the truth is, love is far greater than all of them put together. Now the problem is, we may believe what the Bible tells us about love, about God. But we also believe, and we also put our faith in, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of our eyes, and our pride. So we flop back and forth between what we believe about the truth of love and what we believe to be true about our lusts. We have beliefs, which are true, that are consistent with God in our inner man. And we also have beliefs, which are lies, that are consistent with the lust and pride of our flesh. When we put our faith in beliefs that are based on lies, it is always detrimental. It is always destructive. It's always evil. Because it always involves an attitude of rebellion against God. When we put our faith in love, which is based on truth, it is always beneficial and good because it is God's love that flows through us to accomplish his perfect will. Our struggles as Christians are not rooted in wrong actions. That's a common misconception. Our struggles are rooted in wrong beliefs which produce wrong actions. I need to be continually asking the question, and we, I, we all fail at this. I would love to just continually ask this about every single thing I do. I get distracted just like everyone else. I need to be asking whatever my circumstances, whether I'm feeling good, whether I'm in pain, whether I'm under a lot of pressure, whether everything's going right, I need to be constantly asking, am I listening to and putting my faith in lies, things of the spirit of this world, the lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, my pride, or am I listening to and putting my faith in truth, the things of the indwelling Holy Spirit, God's provision, God's protection, God's purposes. In fact, let's, let's change that like John did. Am I putting my faith and my trust in love's provision, love's protection, love's purposes? If we don't get the basics, if we don't have the truth and build on a correct foundation, then Whatever doctrine we hold is worthless. Our obedience is meaningless. This is what's talked about at the first, first part of that, ver that chapter on, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians that we read this morning. And we'll always feel like failures, like victims, 
Like there's something outside of ourselves that we don't have that keeps us from being, quote unquote, successful Christians. The scripture tells us in 2 Peter 1.3, God's divine power, his love, has granted us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us. So here's the basics. I need to get the truth into my mind. That's absolutely essential. That's what this is all about. That's why we come here on Sunday mornings. That's why we go to the small groups. That's why we go to Bible studies. We need to get the truth into our mind. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where he said, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, the interesting thing about that word transformed in the Greek is it's in the passive tense. We're in the, involved in the renewing of our mind. God is in the process of transforming us. That's those verses we started out with. That's his responsibility, and he does it through the Holy Spirit with what we have in our mind. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and leads us into all truth. With this correct knowledge, I need to understand the love of God, and I also need to understand why I was created. I will never be joyfully fulfilled unless I understand the reason for my existence. Some of the old catechisms say um, man was created for the glory of God. Well, that is true and is certainly in line with scripture, but what does it really mean? If I strive for anything other than what fulfills the purpose for which I was created, I'm always going to be off balance and I'll never be fully satisfied with anything I do. Talking about mankind in the book of Isaiah, God says that man is whom I created for my glory. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Psalm 86, verse 12, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. To be a conduit, of God's perfect truth and love to everyone we come in contact with, this glorifies love. And according to John, therefore, it glorifies God. That's how we glorify God, by loving with agape love. And it's not our own, we can't love the way we're supposed to, but when we submit to the Holy Spirit, when we let the Holy Spirit control us, God loves through us, and that's when he's glorified. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. C.S. Lewis wrote this, and it's amazing when you think about it. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. In commanding us to obey him, to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. How different that is from what we normally think about with respect to obedience. Once we're armed with God's truth, we now desire to act on what we know. Before we, before we became Christians, before we had the word of God, before we had the Holy Spirit enlightening and illuminating the word of God, we were, we were acting on faith. We acted on what we believed. Lust of my flesh, I should feel good. I deserve to go for the gusto. I deserve to have a break today. I deserve all these things. We act on what we believed. But now we have a different belief. 
And God wants us to become saturated with that belief. That's why we have the Word of God, the Bible. That's why we teach it. That's why we should be in it on a daily basis. When we desire to act on what we know, our willful decisions are based on a desire which is rooted in truth and that's deeply embedded within us. The more we know the truth about, about love, the more we'll trust in love, and the more we will desire and strive to do what love demands of us. The more we do what love demands of us, the more we will know and understand the truth of God's love. And then we can expect obedience to love to become more and more of a habit for us. That's why we read in scripture that his commandments are not burdensome for us. That's why Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I can't remember the passage in uh, Proverbs, it just came to mind, but it's, uh, God says, turn you at my reproof and I will give you the desires of your heart. This doesn't mean that if I do what God wants me to do, I get to have whatever I want. It means he's gonna change the desires in my heart so that my desires are now in line with his desires that his will may be done on earth, just like we read, or we read in the Lord's Prayer. Whenever I believe that fulfilling a lust of my flesh, on the other hand, a lust of the eyes or my pride, will be beneficial for me, will bless me, then I have believed a lie. We need to get that, we need to get that understanding. We need to have that perspective. It may please me for a short time. There's no question about that. That's why we give in to it. But it will always, 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 end up being detrimental and destructive because it's rebellion against the perfection of God. We think of obedience as something unpleasant that we have to do in order to be righteous the way God desires us to be righteous. I don't know how many Christians I've talked to over the years that are striving so hard to live up to a set of standards, to live up to a set of rules, and they do well for a while, and then sooner or later they fall. That's not what this is all about. We don't, and we can't make ourselves righteous. We need to get that firmly implanted in our mind. What does scripture say? We have the righteousness of Christ. We can't get any more righteous than that. Philippians 3.9, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The reality is we don't have to obey God. We get to obey God. That's a wonderful thing. That's exciting. And the more we understand the love of God, the more we desire to obey God. This is what Christian liberty is all about. This is what freedom in Christ is all about. We tend to think of Christian liberty as well. Okay, scripture doesn't say don't drink alcohol, therefore I get to drink alcohol. That's not what it's about at all. We get to see the power of God's love touching people's lives in wonderful ways as we let God's love flow through us. Paul talked extensively about knowing God. In fact, we, if you read the different epistles, you'll, you'll see prayers that he made to pray that, that the church would know God. And there's a passage in Jeremiah that says, Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, this is in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, if you want to look it up later. Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, 
And there's two Hebrew words here that he uses. It reads that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, says the Lord. Now these two words, understands and knows, it's interesting because the word understands deals with wisdom that comes from insight and comprehension. That's getting into the word, reading the word, studying the word. It's intellectual knowledge. We learn about God. And then the knows, he understands and knows, the word know has to do with something that we experience, something that's relational between, between us and God. This is important to understand because it's not just getting into the Bible. It's also putting it into practice because that's where it really begins. That's where knowledge transfers into wisdom when we see how it plays out and we see what it's really all about. We're in the habit, unfortunately, of defining the things of God and even God himself from the perspective of our own experience, which is not exactly a reliable foundation to be building on. God gives us a lot of different images. The scriptures are just filled with them. Things like father, son, marriage, master, slave. And we tend to look at these from our perspective. Oh, yeah, my father, yeah, he was a drunk. Yeah, yeah so if God's the father, uh, he's not too perfect either. How about this rebellious son over here? And Jesus is the son? Um, yeah, I know what that's all about. How about marriage? The marriage, of, marriage feast of the Lamb, we're going to be married for all eternity? Yeah, I know what marriages are like. 50% divorce rate in the United States or some, something close to that. That's how we tend to look. We take our experience, our basis, our knowledge, and we try to impose it on what God says. Instead, we should be defining our experiences in the light of God's truth. I should be asking, am I what a father? Am I what a son? And I, am I what a master, a slave, or a marriage partner really should be? Am I looking to the scriptures to see what God not only told me, but also gave by example? Is that how I live? To help us get a grasp on, on this, um, I want to tell you a little story. There was a man I knew at a, a church we used to go to, and his name was Bill Snowman. And uh, I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Uh, wonderful man. Uh, Devout, devout Christian. Um, in fact, I don't know if you know the, the hymn, um, I'm trying to think of it now. Um, uh, well, it doesn't matter. But anyway, um, I can't recall the hymn right now. But anyway, Bill, Bill Snowman, I asked him one day, I said, I've never heard the last name Snowman before. Where did that come from? He said, well, that's an interesting story. I think it was his great, either his great or his great-great-grandfather was a man over, a young man over in England. And at the time, he couldn't find work anywhere. There were no jobs. He was, he was just beside himself. And he saw a, a bill posted on a, a poll one day that talked about being an indentured servant to someone over in the United States. And so he looked into it a little bit, and he finally agreed, and he contacted a man over in Maine whose name was Mr. Snow. And so he contacted him. The, the arrangements were all made. And he became what was understood as an, an indentured servant. He committed himself for 20 years to work for Mr. Snow. And at the end of that time, um, then he would be, be able to become a citizen of this country. There are all sorts of benefits that would come to him because of that. But if, during that 20 years, he would be taken care of. He would be provided for. It would be a lot of work, but it would be something where he wouldn't be experiencing what he is experiencing 
in, in England. Well, he came over here, and as he began to work, um, he and Mr. Snow developed a good relationship. Mr. Snow happened to be a man who was highly respected in the community. He was a, a devout Christian. Um, he had a lovely family, uh, and he was very successful in business. And as the years went on, he taught this man from England these different things about how to run a farm, how to manage your, your finances, how to run a business, how to be a part of the community, how to do all these things. And when, when, when he first came over, he would go into town and nobody knew his name or anything. And uh, they'd say, oh, who's that guy over there? Oh, oh, that's the new snowman. He was the man who worked for the snows. And that's just what he became known as. Well, at the end of the 20 years, his time was up. And Mr. Snow said, well, I've given you everything I can. Um, you're prepared now. I've, I've taught you as much as I can. You can go out. You're fully qualified to start your own business, start your own farm or whatever. And I've also been putting away a sum of money so that you will be able to not just go out destitute, but you'll have something to work with. And you are now free. Well, this man, first thing he did was he went down to the county courthouse and he said, I want to change my name. And he changed his last name to Snowman because that's what he had been called all those 20 years. He loved being the servant. Actually, it was like a slave, what we would see in, in the scriptures. He loved that so much, he said, I want to be associated with that man for the rest of my life. He changed his name to Snowman and went back to Mr. Snow and said, I don't want to leave. I want to live here and work for you for the rest of my life. I, there's no place else I want to be. That's a picture of what a master and a slave relationship is like with God. He bought us. He purchased with us, us with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We're now fully protected. We're now fully provided for, for all eternity, by a God who perfectly loves us. What a beautiful picture that story is. I need to saturate my mind with the truth about the love of God so that I will be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love that God has for me. Going back to Romans again, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove, that that's to confirm, to display what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we read, we are destroying speculations. That's things that we imagine, that we come up with in our mind. And every lofty thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What happens then is what happened to Paul. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. We need to be so overwhelmed with our knowledge of the love of God that the only thing we desire is to be perfectly obedient to what love asks of us. As Jesus taught his disciples by word and action, he made this statement in John 13, 17. If you know these things, you are blessed. You are happy if you do them. See, there's a, there's a relationship between what we know, what we believe, and what we do. Lust and pride never make anyone happy. At best, it would only be temporary, just for a very short time. But there will always be something negative that comes out of it if we give in to that. That's why God gave us the Bible. 
The Bible is God's treasure. It's his loving gift to us. We tend to think, in fact, I've, I remember one Christian when I was very young, um, had just been saved a year or so, and I met a Christian who says, yeah, we're New Testament Christians in our church. Uh, we don't even read the Old Testament because that was, that was the law. We're the church. The Old Testament is an experience. It's a display. It's all about Christ. We can see Christ. We've been through the studies in this church about how the different things that we see, the ark, all these things uh, are just pictures. King David, these are all pictures of Christ, the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. And we should be able to go back into the Old Testament. In fact, I challenge you to do this. As you read the Old Testament, you read things about how the flood wiped out everyone, how David had his daughter raped, how he lost, he, his baby died, how his two sons were killed in battle. We should be able to see in all of those things, we should be able to see the love of God. I, I remember my uh, grandmother gave me a Bible and in the front of it, she put a little statement that said, the easy passages are for our nourishment. The difficult passages are for our exercise. And sometimes we have to look, we have to study. And this may be a challenge for all of us. Get together with someone. Talk to one of the elders in the church. If you look at something in the, in, the, in the Old Testament especially and see a story, and say, I don't possibly see how God's love is displayed in this at all. It's there. I guarantee you it's there. And when we begin to grasp and see God's love displayed everywhere, from Revelation to Gen or Genesis to Revelation, we'll see that he describes, he defines, he displays, and he reveals the great truth about his perfect agape love. Now, in order to act out of love, I have to trust in love. I have to trust that it's perfect. And I have to trust that love never fails. In order to trust in love, I have to understand love. When I understand love, then I will desire to love above all else. That's that song we sang this morning, Speak, O Lord. Um, it says, truths unchanged. Um, I'm sorry, take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, truth is always to be applied. It is not just to be enjoyed intellectually. This is the problem with people who just come to church on Sunday morning to hear sing some, some songs that are uplifting and, and hear a good sermon. The problem with people who say, I don't need to go to church. Um, I can hear uh, Chuck Swindoll and Charles Stanley and John MacArthur and all the others in the morning. I just saturate myself. That's not what it's all about. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it must be applied. There is no value in intellectual knowledge unless it finally leads to love. There is no value in any emotion unless it leads to love. Our works are useless if they do not produce love. Though I give my body to be burned, this is right out of 1 Corinthians 13, and do not have love, what is the value of it? It's what we read in Ecclesiastes. It's all vanity. It's all worthless. Then he goes on to say, what's the value of anything? So we build up ourselves in love. But there is a danger here. We still have the influences of the world. We still, Satan desires to deceive us. And as one pastor we used to have said, the best lie is just a little bit short of the truth. 
it's filled with truth. And then at the last minute, there's a little twist. It takes us off, takes us on a wrong path. God has commanded me to love and has promised to bless me if I do. If I believe that, then I, I believe the truth. But if I love in order to be blessed with a selfish goal of being blessed, then I'm not really loving. I'm taking care of myself. I'm not sacrificially serving someone else in need. If I just perform acts that appear to be loving, then I have no guarantee of any blessing and I have no guarantee that my acts will be of any value whatsoever. Paul's prayer, I mentioned this before, to the different churches. We go through the different epistles and you can see this over and over, that they might know God. Listen to what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives this name, that he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What a prayer that is. Can you imagine the church where, where that's, that's happening? That's exciting to even just think about that. And it is happening in this church. I see it all the time. I see people sacrificially giving for the welfare of other people within this congregation. It is happening. We'll never be perfect in what we do, but we should always be striving. We should always be filling our minds with more understanding of what the love of God is all about. And that will change our desires to be even more loving, to let God's love flow through us into the lives of others. The Christian life is a life of faith. It's not just about having faith to get saved. It's a way of living. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.70, so we walk by faith, we live by faith, not by sight. Each of us needs to, be, to ask ourselves honestly before the Lord, what am I really putting my faith in? Am I putting it in the lusts of my flesh, the lusts of my eyes, in my pride? Or am I putting my faith in the love that never fails? The love that was so powerful it brought creation into existence. The love that is the most powerful force in all the universe. The love that gives me the promise of a purpose and joy for all eternity. Let's close in prayer. And I, I wanted to pray this morning I couldn't think of anything more, more pertinent or more effective than what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3. So I'd ask you all to join me this morning as, as I'll, I'll read this, but join me in this prayer. O oh Lord, it is our desire that you grant each and every one of us according to the riches of your glory to be strengthened with power through your spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that we being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, 
that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Amen.